This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. Today, we are offering four conversations from episode 44, our look at screening T2D patients and ways that MASH differs in women versus men and among women based on menopausal status. Plus, from the vault, a conversation from 2023 about different primary care screening strategies for MASH. This conversation starts with Louise Campbell introducing our guest surfer, Roberta Forlano, for Imperial in London, and why she felt that some of Roberta's recent papers might be so important for our listeners. For Louise, the common thread much of Roberta's work, and certainly the two papers we discussed today, is the focus on at-risk populations, patients with type 2 diabetes in the primary research, and women, particularly postmenopausal women, in the literature review. Most of the conversation entails Roberta discussing the reason she and her team pursued the issue of screening done by frontline treaters among a high-risk patient group, in this case, patients living with type 2 diabetes in the Northwest area of London. She describes all the key elements of the paper, how the group selected patients to screen, how the group screened them, and then what the research researchers learned in the process of doing the study. When she finishes, Jorn Schottenberg commends the study and notes that the results for Berger reports are similar to what he is seeing when evaluating patients in his clinic. Coming out of this session, I understood why Louise had advocated to bring Roberta Forlano in her work on the podcast. You'll hear some fascinating data, a data you can use, about some of our core target populations. It's a lot of information in a fairly short episode, so just sit back, listen, learn, enjoy. When you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Louise, who worked with Roberta, suggested that she'd be a good guest, a fantastic guest, which I'm completely aligned with. And then Louise chose two papers that were published originally out of that group that on which Roberta is an author that she wanted to discuss. Uh, Louise, I think I probably take the screening paper with the diabetic patients first, but why don't you talk a little bit about why you thought that one would be a good one for us to discuss, and then we'll turn to Roberta, who will tell us about her paper. Louise Campbell. Well, I think for me, and what we do on the podcast, we talk about looking at at-risk populations. This comes back in the days when I did used to work at Imperial. I think this was a piece of work you started just as I was finishing or just after, but you were heavily involved in the diabetes and doing fibre scanning on these populations and going out to look at the risk. So I think it was something that I had an inkling into looking through the protocols that were written at the time. And they were exciting at the time because I obviously hadn't met Marsden. I hadn't read or been exposed to the work that's now been done in the year since about cost effectivity of high-risk populations, but we don't seem to be any closer realistically in taking what evidence we've got and getting it out there. Since I left Imperial, liver cancer has taken over as the biggest comorbid condition and cause of death in people with type 2 diabetes. We still don't talk about diet and lifestyle. So this piece of work coming to fruition and seeing the data that was being generated excited me. It was nice to tailor it off for me and see the end. And I know what hard work the team at Imperial do in all of their studies from hep C through B and the fatty liver side, and particularly with fibre scan and non-invasive mechanisms. So the cost effectivity of that being put up against the other usual suspects was again an interest for that. So that's the first paper and uh, Roberta, your lead author on that one. Yes. And I think just to touch on the second paper, which is a personal interest, anybody who listens to the podcast, I chirp about women's health and why we don't look at it a little bit more within the trial protocols. When we look at trials where the age is over 50, we go predominantly female. Roberta was part of a team that did a very nice review of menopausal and the hormones in how women are affected by fatty liver disease. And there's some really interesting and startling 
information comes out on that. But that will be the second paper. And Pierre Chia Eng is the lead author on that piece to give that that's due. So that's why I felt the two papers were important out of the plethora of papers that Roberta has had published this year. It's just like a fountain. Somebody turn it off. I'm wondering if giving birth to this many papers and becoming pregnant have anything to do with each other. Roberta Forlano. Yes, exactly. Remember, I was a, a female Jesus, so <laughs> any miracle can happen. So why don't we dive in, Roberta? Please take three, five minutes and talk us through the uh, diabetes screening paper, which I agree with Louise. I think is really fascinating and great piece of work. Taking from what Louise was saying, so basically we were immediately attracted by the issue of screening NAFLD in the uh, general population, fatty living in the general population. I mean, we still, with all the guidelines coming through and the screening pathway suggested, the NAFLD diagnosis is still relying on abnormal liver function tests or, you know, it's it's done sometimes by chance. So when patients do investigations for other reasons. So it's, it's an, I mean, we think it's unacceptable. We know, for example, that patients with type 2 diabetes have a um, higher risk for all, all outcomes like fibrosis, uh, NASH, fibrosis progression and liver cancer. So why don't we screen these patients? I mean, there are many obstacles like the lack of awareness among physicians and patients or, or also before my paper, we didn't know much about how effective and cost effective are these screening pathways in primary care. And finally, one can argue, why should we screen for fatty liver if we don't have a medication to offer to these patients? This is a good point, but actually we know that uh, an earlier diagnosis can, because it's a slow progressing disease, uh, can really lower the progression rate. So it's still very important to diagnose this patient as soon as possible, as early as possible, so that we can make lifestyle interventions and control diabetes and other metabolic factors. So we wanted to address some of these questions with this study, which was the main study I did my, for my PhD. And we went to primary care physicians in the northwest London area, and we offered free screening for liver disease, all liver disease and fatty liver um, to all patients with type 2 diabetes. We screened them with blood tests, ultrasound and fiber scans. So all patients received a comprehensive screening. We managed to enroll 300 patients, but then um, we were we were aiming for more, but um, so the fairy tales, COVID pandemic struck and we had to hold the recruitment, unfortunately, but still we got nice results. So at first glance, when we have a look at the numbers, how our data supported the magnitude of the problem, the fatty liver problem in primary care in, in patients with diabetes. So if we think of patients with type 2 diabetes, 6 out of 10 have fatty liver, 2 out of 10 have fibrosis, and 1 out of 30 have cirrhosis, which is the most severe form of muscle D. So if you can think of the population of patients with type 2 diabetes in your area and extrapolate few numbers, it's really a massive problem. So we went ahead and we wanted to see how effective is applying currently suggested screening strategies for fatty liver in this population. And and we wanted to see how effective was in terms of cost for the healthcare system, because of course it's a huge population to screen. So we compare different strategies like ultrasound with liver function test, NAFLD fibrosis score and FIB4 and fiber scan uh, compared to standard of care, which we define as no screening. So either no screening or screening based on occasional abnormal liver function test. And what we found is that currently suggested screening pathways, in particular FIB4, you do diagnose a lot of patients, but you also miss 3 out of 10 of patients who have fibrosis, especially, again, with the FIB4, but um, rates can be higher if you use ELF. And yes, FIB4, just to remember, is a, a simple algorithm that we can calculate based on liver function test, platelets, and age. So we went ahead and we did a cost analysis and we demonstrated that any form of screening is cost effective. So whether you want to do it with 
with ultrasound and, and, and liver function tests or a FIB4 or nafolifibrosis score on ELF, it's still very cost effective. You make a lot of early diagnosis of liver disease from fatty liver compared to non-screening at all. So it's still worth, it's cost effective. It just needs a bit of refining because we are still missing that 30% of patients with fibrosis that unfortunately are those who are younger and with normal liver function tests. So are those who will inevitably be missed as screening. Jörn Schattenberg. Roberta, this is a great study. Congratulations. And it reflects a lot of the things we want to do in high-risk populations. So congratulations also on publishing it. I have a couple of thoughts and I might share it with the group and then we'll, we'll go around if you don't mind. One of the things I want to say, I think the numbers replicate something we are seeing in my neighborhood. So this is a German primary care a type 2 diabetes cohort. You know, different strategies, but I think using similar transient elastography cutoffs, taking the device into the primary care office, which is not feasible at all levels. We get, you know, the 10% of compensated cirrhosis you have been, this, oh, it was 3% was it for you, right? I think we had a little bit more going towards the 8% or something, but it depends on the cutoffs. But it's real, it's there, and I think it's important to pick it up. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded the conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with more individual interviews. We're still lining these up, but likely topics might include the impact of the Hamas invasion on the Israeli medical system and or how U.S. payers are looking at the coming MASH prescribing pattern or maybe something else. We'll announce our subjects and topics early next week. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.